My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdown and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Reed Cashman, head coach with Dartmouth College. Having gone all the way to the NHL level, Reed has a wealth of coaching experience and has developed a key understanding of player development and relationship building. Anytime you can hear the experiences from behind an NHL bench, it's a treat, and this interview is no different. So with that, I'm happy to present Reed Cashman, head coach with Dartmouth College. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how Payday can come every day by entering their contests for huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. You draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports, and DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports so there's no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app today and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Reed Cashman, head coach at Dartmouth College. Reed, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited yeah, about it. Definitely. I'm excited as well. And, uh, you know, going through your resume and having followed you for a little while now, just knowing your NHL experience and, uh, you know, NCAA, AHL, all these different stops, it's uh, you're a great person to be able to share some perspectives on, you know, the pro game, but also the the pathway to the pro game. So I'm um, very excited to have you on and share your story. But Starting off, let's just let listeners learn a little bit more about you. Maybe talk about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and just give some more general information on you as a person. Yeah, so I I grew up in Red Wing, Minnesota, which is a small town about an hour south of uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis. So right on the Mississippi River on the Wisconsin border. Uh, two older brothers. So I, I basically just ch- chased those guys around. Um, very fortunate to have a mom and dad that, just wanted us to do everything right so we learned how to skate and to ski and to swim and um we we played baseball and so like my senior year I played football in the fall hockey in the winter and baseball in the spring so I I didn't really become a full-time hockey player until I was 19 years old um so did that growing up great again great upbringing very fortunate to have my two brothers to look up to and have great parents that were supportive um and then when I graduated high school I got to play in a Minnesota State tournament, which was a big deal for a Minnesota kid. Um, went to Waterloo in the USHL for a year to play for PKO Hanley, and and then after that, four years at, at Quinnipiac. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's interesting. Again, I, I kind of look into all this and and just seeing the progression there, and and then Quinnipiac, and you even you know continued on a, a little bit more. So maybe let's transition now into your playing career, and uh, maybe even put a spin on it and how it led to a coaching career or fueled that passion in some way? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a couple things about it. I think there's always a, 
you know, going into college, I think kids are, you know, what am I going to do post-college degree, all that. It became very clear to me that I wasn't going to be finance or um, probably even science. And I, I always thought teaching would be a path. And so um, as I went through college and started to kind of be a late bloomer and have some success at Quinnipiac, it looked like there'd be an opportunity to play when I was done. Um, signed with the Maple Leafs after my senior year as a free agent. Um, learned in a hurry what what pro hockey was and um, how competitive it is. And it's it's unbelievable to, to get a paycheck to play hockey, but it's also um, – there's not a lot of feelings involved or a lot of emotion involved. And so uh, as you're going through it, so my first year, again, I'm on an NHL contract, but I spend most of the year in the East Coast Hockey League. I'm up and down between the Marlies in Toronto and uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, next year, I'm on, now I'm on an AHL contract with Wilkes-Barre, but again, I'm up and down Wilkes-Barre, Wheeling. Third year, Milwaukee, Cincinnati. And then my fourth year, I went and, um, and played over in Austria. In Europe, and so again, as I'm going through, and you're you're starting to see guys at the end of their careers, um, and, and seeing what they're doing, whether they're having success or that maybe they're starting to struggle, and I just started to put together a plan of like I, I think coaching would be a great opportunity. Um, I like the idea of teaching, and then I love the game, and um, to be able to stay involved with it, I had a ton of interest in that, and so. Um, I think part of playing in the levels I was playing at too is pretty, pretty clear early on that I was going to have to have life after hockey. And so um, I'd always kept in good touch with Rand Pecknell at Quinnipiac. I had a great relationship with him and he had an opening, uh, I guess it's 11, 12 season. And um, those don't come open very often in college. It feels like, um, especially to go right to the division one level. And we talked about it and I was going to go back to Europe and keep playing um he actually hired somebody else and i was like no problem i was just i was literally it's crazy i was i got an offer from cologne and the del they were sending me over the contract and i hadn't talked to Rand in like a month now because he had given the job to somebody else no big deal and that afternoon he called me and he was like hey how's it going i was like actually great news i got a contract i'm going to cologne and this is august so like camp had already started so i was going to be on a plane in a couple of days and he was like, did you sign anything yet? And I said, no, I'm just waiting for him to send it over. He's like, well, don't sign it. If you want to come coach, I got a job for you. And it was, it was wild. And so my wife and I were, we were engaged at the time and we just thought it'd be a great opportunity. And I'm, I'm very blessed that I took that opportunity. And then that Rand gave me the opportunity. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's led to so much uh, since then, but I, I think it's always good for players to have a plan and, and, you know, whether you have to act on it or not, just to, to have an idea of what you want to do moving forward. And it seems like teaching and coaching was just a natural progression for you. And, and then with your, your playing background, you're able to kind of fuel that and, uh, you know, playing at Quinnipiac, now you're there as a coach and able to jump in right away to the NCAA level, division one level. Like you said, it's not always a, an easy place to get to right away. Just, Talk us through that that first uh, experience and then maybe the adjustment finally going behind the bench and, and taking on that role. Yeah, and just getting back to that last part, I, yeah, it's, I think it's good to have a plan for afterwards, but I, I honestly think, and I tell guys at Dartmouth here when I was at Quinnipiac, I think the biggest thing is is keeping relationships as you're, as you're playing professionally because you just don't know where people are going to end up. And whether it's in coaching or outside of coaching, um, I think to be able to manage – those relationships and have good relationships. And um, I'm sure we'll get to it, but it's, it's funny. Like I, 
when I got hired by Washington, the um, Todd Rudin was running the D in Washington. He was my coach my second year in the American League. Um, Troy Mann was my boss in Hershey. My first year in the coast, he coached me. And then Lane Lambert was on Washington staff. In my third year in Milwaukee, he coached me. So I had these three guys that I played for that at the time, I wasn't like, oh, I better try to be a good person so they'll hire me someday. But I think if I if I wasn't or I had some cracks or flaws or major ones, I guess we all have flaws, I think that would have come back to me. And so I think that those relationships are, are so important. Um, sorry, I kind of I kind of jumped your question there. but <laughs> No, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, so – um, you know, definitely great to have those relationships. And as we kind of hinted here, uh, Quinnipiac being the next stop again, yeah. walk us through that season and, and just uh, the transition in, into coaching. Yeah. So again, I don't think, you know, I didn't know like, Hey, this is, this is the path. I just knew this was a great opportunity and it seemed like something that I, I would want to do. And it, it was instantly fell in love with it. And, um, so passionate about developing, um, players so passionate about, developing relationships, you know, you get to help, especially at the college level. Um, you know, you, you help kids through some really tough times or some great time. You see ebbs and flows. Um, and so it was pretty, pretty quick that I knew this is something I'll do the rest of my life. Now, again, I had no five-year plan to be in the NHL or to be a head coach or I, I just knew, and I know to this day, this is I'll coach for the rest of my life. You know, whether that's, Midget hockey or high school hockey or the NHL or anything in between. Um, and it, it was the, it was the people that I got to be involved with every day. And then you can see, you see yourself making a difference. I was very fortunate to work with some great, great athletes at Quinnipiac that were willing to learn and, and help me kind of through my learning process. Um, you know, the biggest learning curve in college for me was the recruiting aspect, right. And, and trying to, project what a 16, 17, 18 year old is going to look like when he's 21, 22, 23. Um, the, the, the simplest thing for me was just talking hockey, you know, being on the ice and talking hockey and, you know, how do you see it? And this is how I see it. And, and let's try to, let's try to learn together. I would say I've had some really good mentors, but um, I, I probably learn as much from the players from the daily conversations. Cause they're the ones that see it. Right. And um, if you can, take what they're seeing and, and then mix it with my past experience. That's where some, some really cool developments happened in my, my experience. Yeah. The, the players, you know, every day and, and you see the transition in hockey where the players are getting more involved in the process and uh, you know, they, they have a lot to offer to coaching staff as well, but it seems like it was a, a positive first experience for you. And uh, you know, like you said, coaching and, and, and the online stuff is, is kind of how you relate to everything, but then you have to deal with the other factors, the relationships and, uh, you know, recruiting definitely being a big one at that level, just a whole different uh, kind of avenue of having to work in. But, uh, you know, you were successful and eventually, um, you know, through connections and all and other opportunities, you were able to move to the AHL with Hershey. Uh, again, another adjustment having to coach at the pro level as opposed to college. So walk us through the process of moving to Hershey and then your experience with that organization. Yeah, that was interesting. So I um, was having um, unbelievable experience at Quinnipiac. It's my alma mater. It's my wife's alma mater. We had just gone to four straight NCAA tournaments, you know, two national championship games. We were, it was rolling there. Um, and I just, I, I talked to Rand and um, actually that, that summer 
I took the job in August in Hershey that summer. Uh, before I took the job, I had interviewed at UMass when UMass was open, and they ended up hiring Greg Carvel, which looks like a pretty good hire, <laughs> obviously. But um, I remember meeting with Ryan Bamford, and he was great. He spent a ton of time with me, shared his vision. It, it was He gave me a lot of time where maybe he didn't really need to. And and at the end of that, he's he, he said some really good advice. He's like, I, I like you. You know, you've done good things at Quinnipiac, but um, if you want to be a head coach, my opinion is – you need to go grow and learn some other place from some other places and some other people and not, it wasn't degrading towards Quinnipiac or towards Rand, but it's just the, Hey, like you can keep developing. Uh, and so I had that in the back of my mind. And then I just, I got a call again in August. Seem, things seem to happen in August. I got a call in August from Todd Rudd and yes, completely out of blue. I hadn't talked to him in, in quite a while, uh, probably over a year. And he said, Hey, do you have any interest in, in, and interviewing for the Hershey job and, and running the D. And he knew that a lot of the stuff that I was doing with our Quinnipiac defensemen, um, I learned when I, I played for him. And then I melded some things from obviously other coaches I played for, but a big core of what I did, I, I learned from him. And, and he knew that um, because we had stayed in touch. And then that my last year at Quinnipiac, we had, we went to the national championship game. Um, we had Devontae's and Connor Clifton who really, had turned corners and they're great. They would have been great players without me, but they had really, we had found a way as a staff to really develop them. And, um, and I think that helped our winning and then seeing some defensemen develop into NHL prospects and obviously now NHL players. And it was just the right time for, for me to make a move. And uh, again, family, my wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time. And, and then you look into Hershey's organization and what it is and the history of it. Um, and then what Washington was doing with, with Barry and, um, with Todd and lay that whole staff, uh, it just, it, it's perfect opportunity for, for me to take a chance in my career and very, my wife was, was very supportive of that. So yeah, go to Hershey and now it's, it's like, okay, you've been working with college kids. Well, how does that translate to pro? Um, one of the things about why I took the job, I think why they wanted me is we had a bunch of young defensemen in Hershey, right? So Madison Bowie and Jonas Siegenthaler and, uh, Lucas Johansson, Connor Hobbs, Colby Williams. It was just a – they had just drafted a lot of defensemen the previous four or five years. And so the actually the age – it was very – the coaching was very similar with, with that group. With our young defensemen, it was very similar. And then I was extremely fortunate that our vet was Aaron Ness. And Aaron Ness is probably the top two or three guys I've ever been around in my career. And so he completely – bought into what I was, I was selling. Um, and then the young guys, you know, you have that carrot of, if you keep going this way, we'll, we'll get you to the NHL. Um, the amount of games was an adjustment, right? You go from playing 35 to 76. So managing energy and the emotional rides, the ups, the downs, and trying to minimize those. Um, not recruiting was, it was just hockey. That was, that was the coolest thing. It was like, there's scouts that do everything else. There's a GM that does everything else. You just, here's your guys, go coach them up. Um, and then I worked for a really good coach in Troy Mann, who I really think be a head coach in the NHL here before long. Um, and then our, our staff, Ryan Murphy, who's now a skills coach for the Devils, and Mike King, who's um, video coach for Ottawa. So we, we had a great staff. It was great to go to work every day, and that was huge in my personal development for sure. Yeah, and and it's interesting just how, again the the younger uh, defensive core being able to uh, make 
the transition may be a little bit easier, but it sounds like there was quite the staff there as well and people that you can lean on for different experiences, different opportunities. And, and you guys have all kind of gone your separate ways and, and been successful. And, uh, you know, when, when you see success at the college level, AHL is usually a, a fairly, uh, you know, jump, a big jump that you make then. And if you're successful with AHL level, uh, naturally the next step is the NHL. And for you, that opportunity came within that same organization with the Washington Capitals. So, uh, you know, a, a big jump and, and kind of a, a breakthrough moment to make it to the NHL, uh, discuss that process and and then talk about being able to to say you were a coach with the Washington Capitals. Yeah, so that was a that was a massive, massive jump. The, the American League didn't feel like that big of a jump. And part of it was the staff that I got to work with and work for. Um, you know, part of it was uh, the young D and part of it was Aaron Nass. Uh, you know, he was a huge part of it, to be honest with you. Um, so then, you know, 2018, Caps win the cup, you know, like you get to be, you know, part of that run to an extent and all celebration cup, all that. And then it was just wild. Like I was, I was learning stuff as everybody else is learning stuff on, on Barry and Barry Trotz and what was going on there. And, um, and so news broke that um, he wasn't coming back. It was a weird time because uh, Troy and, and Ryan Murphy were moving on from the organization and then uh, Barry and Lane were moving on, but they hadn't hired a head coach. So I was actually running development camp kind of because they didn't have anybody else to do it. So I was in Washington. We we're running development camp, which is a really good experience for me to have a chance to put a camp together myself, um, you know, with, with Steve, with Steve Richmond, but the on ice portion. And then is right during that, I think right towards the end of that development camp, uh, Todd was Todd got hired or was in the process of getting hired. Todd Reardon, and then he he grabbed me and was like, "Hey, do you want to do you want to come with?" And um, and then I met with I met with Mac and Mac was like, "Like what you've been doing with the D down there, and um, want you to come come with the big club." And so of course you you say yes without thinking about it because it's like I said, it wasn't a necessarily a goal of mine. I was just you know, just try to do the best you can on a daily basis and treat people right. But also I get this unique opportunity was so excited about it. The opening night, um, it didn't, I don't know if it really hit me till, you know, training camp. Cause I'd been in training camp the previous years and the guys kind of knew me and we're getting through training camp. And then opening night, they raised the banner, you know, I'm on the bench. They raised the banner, the 70 were coach. I have, a, you know, I'm coaching or we're coaching are the same 70 that just won the Stanley cup. Um, Brooks Orpix on the bench. He's three years older than me. And now as I was kind of like, uh, well, shit, this is a, this is a big moment. Like this is a, this is a big deal, you know? Um, and then he just, again, I, I had a really good, I was part of it, got to be part of a really good staff, but that it was a massive jump. That was a little different because I wasn't dealing with young prospects anymore. Now you're dealing with experienced, some of the best players in the world. Yeah, yeah. And you, you talk about, um, you know, the caliber of players on that team and just coming off of Stanley Cup and, and so many guys still staying around. Uh, just talk about the opportunity to coach some elite players, you know, the ones that a lot of people think about, John Carlson, Nicholas Backstrom, Alex Ovechkin, and, and then Brooks Orpik, some of these experienced guys. Uh, just talk about working with them and, and what makes them so elite and, and just the characteristics that they showed on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say is, like, it's a it's won a lot of games because of that core group and because they're good people at the end of the day. Like they are Alex Ovechkin cares about winning as much as about anybody I've been around. 
you know, and you see that when he's emo- with his emotion, with good or bad, like this, this guy wants to win. Um, and John's the same way. Like they're, they're good people. They're unbelievably competitive, which I don't think you probably play in the, the national hockey league. If you're not um, competitive, I think those, those stupid superstars, like I've had time to reflect on it now. And the, they have all these, like just talking about John, like he has all these skill sets, right? Like he can skate, he's big, like he's got a huge shot. Um, the two things that I think separate John are he thinks the game better, as good as anybody, his hockey IQ. And I think the best thing John does is he has the shortest memory of anybody I've ever been around. And I say that in the, in the best way possible, where he, within a shift, can reset. And he knows his game. He knows who he is. And so if, if he makes a, a terrible play, which everybody does in hockey, um, or he makes an unbelievable play, the, that next moment, whatever it is, he he's onto it, right? And so, again, if you watch the power play, there's going to be times where they'll go three or four breakouts in a row where they'll screw it up, right? John will make a bad pass. He'll it'll bounce. It'll they'll get a quick clear. Fans are starting to boo. You know, you're a minute fifteen in now. And John doesn't it it doesn't bother him from the fact because he he goes back he knows what he's supposed to do he makes a play and then all of a sudden he'll set up Ovi for his one team it's in the back of the net it's like lesser guys you would lose them for at least that power play if not a shift if not two shifts but um, but John doesn't do that the other thing is if you when you watch Capitals games if John's ever on the ice for a goal against. His, whether it's his fault, not his fault, whatever, it doesn't matter. He can make the biggest mistake in the world. He goes right back to the blue line. Like, he's ready. Like, he, you have to yank him off the ice because he just, again, he knows who he is as a player and knows if there's a mistake. One, that's part of hockey. And two, it's 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 not the trend. It's probably an anomaly that that mistake happened. And, and that short memory, that ability to make the next play, uh, I think really, really separates John, allows him to play 27 minutes a night. Um, and I, I actually think that's the same about, about Backstrom is the same way. And they're so confident in who they are because they've earned that confidence through practice, through experience, through so many things. Um, Nick's a little bit, Nick, Nick is the smartest hockey player I've been around. His hockey IQ is insane. Um, knowing what to do with the stick, knowing where everybody else on the ice is, but then also knowing that he's going to make mistakes again on the half wall on the power play. He can make three in a row that don't go the way it's supposed to go. And he'll make the next one just, just because he he's moved on to the next play again, through practice, through experience. So I think the mental component, yeah, you have to have a certain physical component, obviously, but the mental component, when I saw these guys on a day-to-day basis to me, really separated them. Uh, again, you know, skill set just so, um, you know, strong and all, all those players as, you know, well, pretty much any player at the NHL level, but, being behind the scenes, you can really see the the mental capacity and the competitive nature and all these things that that gets them there, but ultimately keeps them at that level because they can continue to grow in that capacity. And talking about growth, you spent some time there as an assistant coach. And again, in, in progression in, in hockey and especially in the coaching field, as you progress as an assistant coach, eventually you look for that head coaching position to, to kind of put your own stamp on a program. And the next position that you're in was a head coach position with Dartmouth. Just talk about the the opportunity to go back to college hockey and now work as a head coach uh, for your own program. Yeah, so I learned – I think I figured out, like we talked about when I got to Quinnipiac, I figured out in a hurry I loved coaching. And then I 
I realized in a hurry I, I wanted to be a head coach at some point. Again, I didn't I did not have a timeline. I didn't have a path because nobody know there isn't a path. Like you see guys get hired all the time from different it's it's ultimately usually one person, right? It's a it's a GM or it's an athletic director, or it's and everybody sees something different. But I knew I wanted I, I wanted a chance to to run a program and be a head coach. Um, and then the natural progression of my coaching that went from Quinnipiac to Hershey to, to Washington. Um, I was in a really good spot in Washington. I have a, I have a great relationship with Ryan McClellan. Um, you know, I had a really good relationship with, with the rest of those guys on that staff. And so we got shut down in March for, for COVID. And so we were home. I think I was home at the time. And I just saw on Twitter that Bob Goddard had retired from Dartmouth. And, you know, I like the idea of, of college. I think if I were going to become a head coach in all reality at my age, I was going to be starting college. Or I was going to start in the American league. Right. Um, and so you look for those opportunities. And so when Dartmouth opened up, I knew Dartmouth cause I, was pl- I played in the league versus them. Uh, I love the area. My wife is from New Hampshire. We had a, we have a summer house or we had a summer house in New Hampshire. Um, and so, and I have two daughters, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old daughter. So from a family standpoint, it makes a ton of sense for us to get back to New Hampshire and be close to um, my in-laws, my wife's family. And then professionally speaking, so it's a head coaching job. So I just, I basically called them, um, put in my resume, had a couple initial conversations and, and went through the process. And the more I went through the process, the more I was like, man, like we have the, we have the resources here to to win and to be, to be like, not good, like great. Like we can, like if you're a top three or four team in the ECAC, then you're a national tournament team in the country. And if you're a national tournament team, then it's, it's four wins, you know, and, and you've seen other Ivy league programs win national championships, you know, when the COVID hit Cornell was number one in the country and, and Dartmouth has the resources for us to get there. And we have the administration that, that wants to support it. And so when all those, when all those pieces came together and Steph and I, my wife kind of looked at it, it was kind of a a no brainer. And I had a ton of support from again, Brian McClellan and from the Washington organization. And I would not have, I don't think I would have gotten the job without my four years in that organization. And I would not have felt as nearly as prepared, especially the last, without the last two in Washington, because what it forced me to do and how it accelerated my development as a coach. Um, But that's, that's kind of how it all came together. And, um, I'm very fortunate for again the opportunity here, and um, but like I said, I think I think we have a really good opportunity. I wouldn't have taken the job if I didn't think um, we we could be successful here. Yeah, and uh, you know, making any move from an NHL level, you you want to have long term goals in mind, and it seems like with the head coaching role and, and that progression, uh, that was definitely the case for you. Maybe just for people who aren't as familiar with the college game, maybe walk us through a day or a week in your role and just talk about some of the things that you deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, so that's the one thing. You know, they don't – there's not – I guess there's books that head coaches have written, but there's not really a book for for everything that comes with it. Um, so, that you know, now that you're back in college, so pro hockey was just – it was just hockey, right? Whether AHL, NHL, you were ju- – I was just coaching the defenseman. I was just – whatever, helping with the five on it, whatever my hockey role was. Um, in, in college, it's, you know, so there's a, we have three guys on our, three coaches on our staff. Every, every school in the country gets three coaches that can coach and recruit. Then you can have a volunteer coach. You can have hockey ops. You can't, 
recruit or coach, but really there's three of us. So, um, and recruiting is a massive part of it. Like you have to get the players uh, in your program. And so there's a recruiting component to every day, whether it's, whether it's phone calls, whether it's zooms, whether it's, you know, our staff is, you know, I've been to Buffalo a few times already here the last couple of weeks with the, with the U S hockey does their national camps there. And uh, we did the USHL circuit cause all that they were all having their camps. And so recruiting is a big part of it. Um, you know, alumni relations and, and dealing with, dealing with the, um, our friends group who's extremely supportive of our program. Uh, and then you're part of a, a larger community, which is something I'm really excited about and being part of the Dartmouth, you know, athletic department and getting to know all the different coaches and all the different sports um, and the student athletes. Um, and then, and then on top of it, you, you, you coach too, right? So um, we don't, we cannot have our hands on our guys in the summer from a hockey standpoint. So we have guys here, our ice is going in here next week. Uh, they can be with our strength coach, which is the same rule for everybody across the country. We can't be on the ice running practices or working with them. And so it's more this summer is about spending time with them. You know, we have a really good, we'll be a junior defenseman and, and Tanner Palasik who met with for an hour yesterday, just as more of get, getting to know each other still and, and just talking. And, and that's a big part of the summer. Then September for us, September 13th is the first day of class. And that's when things ramp up. And, and start to really get them on the ice. And then October 29th is our first game here at Dartmouth. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, again, a very different situation because of the different restrictions and things like that, but uh, rest assured you'll be ready come the end of October. And uh, you know, you know, when creating those connections and, and going through that process, a lot of those things, uh, you know, come from your experiences at the next level and realizing how important those, uh, you know, relationship building and everything is, which you've touched on uh, from your playing career as well as your coaching career. Um, I, I guess in the process of preparing and coaching at the NCAA level, um, just how often are you drawing on those NHL experiences and providing players with, uh, you know, guidance from players that you coached at that level? Yeah. So, one of the things, one of the things that happened with me working in the American League and then in the NHL, because I didn't play in the NHL, like I played in the American League, but you know I didn't really know what those guys were. And to me, what 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 was kind of proven to me is that ha- habits <laughs> translate. I, I don't care what league you're in or what age you're in. Uh, there's a core a core set of habits that translates to when players are having success. And you know at the NHL level they just need to be reminded or tweaked very rarely. But, you know, when, when Ovechkin's not scoring, it's because he's not moving his feet. It's because he's perimeter. It's, it's because he's maybe taking a shortcut or, and this is the greatest goal scorer that the game has ever seen. And again, he, he doesn't do that very often, but when he does, when he goes through these little streaks, if you start watching his game and then he, you know, I would watch him come in and meet with Scott Arneal or Blaine Forsyth and, they would show him a couple of clips of, Hey, just, you know, get inside the dots a little bit more or move your feet or whatever it is. And all of a sudden he's around the net and all of a sudden he, he scores one. And usually if he scores one, he scores about seven, right. Over the next three or four games. But those, those things translates. Like when John Carlson is struggling to break a puck out, it's, it's not because all of a sudden he doesn't know how to break a puck out. It's also because what are his habits going back for the pucks? How hard is he, is he going back? What's his read when he gets the puck? Is he as he scanned as he shoulder checked and scanned the ice before he touches it? Um, is his partner communicating? Like it's so th- that core set to me translated 
through all, all three levels I've coached at. And so that's where now I can come back and talk to these guys about it where, uh, or talk to recruits about it. And I, we've told recruits, like, I can't, I cannot make you into TJ Oshie or Nick Backstrom. That's not what I can do, but I can tell you what, what Nick Backstrom did after practice to work on his half hole game um, to get better at the power play. And I can tell you that TJ Oshie every game day afterwards had me throw passes to him in his feet. Probably because I was the worst passer on the staff, but to just to work on that part of his game to catch bad passes and anything within his radius, he thought he should handle. And then he worked on it. And then at night you see him like take this pass off his back foot to his stick and then make a play. And in real time, you're like, man, that's big time. But actually it's, it's just become a habit for him. He has that ability. And so that's, that's what I lean on. It's not, Hey, this is what Dmitry Orloff did. So you should do that. It's, these are the habits that I've seen translate. So we want you to maximize who you are. These, these things translate. Um, and it's, I think our guys have been receptive to it and it's, it comes easy to me again, not to do this because somebody else did it. It's more of my experiences, you know, and I go back to Quinnipiac a lot. Like, Hey, here's what Connor Clifton looked like as a sophomore. Here's what Devontae's was fighting me on as a, you know, when he was 20, he fought me on this. And now he's one of my best friends, you know, uh, we just need to have that breakthrough. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, you build relationships with those players and learn more as you go. And uh, it, it's always great to have experiences and, and people to, to, uh, you know, take things from and then put it into your, your coaching philosophies and pass it on to your players. And one of the things that people talk about in hockey is that, that winning breeds champions or breeds future winners. And, you know, being so close to a Stanley Cup organization while you were in Hershey and then, you know, kind of experiencing the the aftermath and, and uh, you know, learning from that experience. Um, how much does that motivate you and that atmosphere of that winning culture motivate you moving forward? And and does it uh, kind of push you in, in your own goals of one day, you know, being on that Stanley Cup winning staff? Yeah, I think that I, I just want to be I want to be great here. I want to maximize who I am at Dartmouth, you know, and there is we took this job, my family and I took this job for long-term for stability for our kids. Now life changes. And we all know that. Like I would have never guessed when my, when I started at Quinnipiac that five years later, I would have been in the NHL or what, you know, that time frame that I would have been in the NHL. So I, I know that life changes, but I, I certainly did not take this job to hopefully do well, to hopefully get out of the next job. This job is for me to be here and to, to continue to build on what is already a, program that's been around since 1905 um but i want to have as much success here as we can uh, and certainly I, I would like to win you know i've at quinnipiac we won a ton my five years we're one win behind north dakota for the most wins in that five-year circuit and and then i go to hershey and it's such a great organization with all the calder cups and that first year we we lose in the second round um of the playoffs so we had a great team my second year we actually we took some bumps um, and then I, I, but then I get to, yeah, be around development camps and be around training camps and learn from Barry Trotz and his staff and what a, what a standard of excellence really is, you know, and what, what that means. Like I, I saw Barry have to stick to his guns in a few spots that, um, probably wasn't easy to do, but all of a sudden now you're like, well, <laughs> it makes sense what Nashville did when, when he was there and what Washington did and now what the Islanders are doing, you know? There are, there are things that are non-negotiable for him. 
Um, and that was the same thing with Rand. Actually, that's a characteristic of, of great coaches I've been around of having some non-negotiable things. Um, and so, yeah, I, we, we want to win here. And I know that if, if we, if we win as a program, and this is something PK O'Hanley, when I played junior hockey which for PK O'Hanley's again, one of the best junior coaches to ever do it. Um, cause everyone's trying to get a scholarship. And I, one of our first meetings, he was like, if you guys buy into our team having success, individuals will have success. As opposed to if we're just trying to get individuals to succeed and maybe the team will do well, it doesn't work that way. And so if Dartmouth gets it rolling here and we get going to NCAA tournaments, which I know we're going to, um, and start competing for championships, that means our players are going to get contracts when they're done. Um, it means our assistant coaches are going to get head coaching opportunities and, and the whole organization or the whole program will, will, will have opportunities. At the college level, opportunity really is what you're breeding, especially for your players. You want them to be successful, yeah. and whether that's in the game or, uh, you know, through education, things like that. And uh, just throughout your career, you know, you've been in a couple of great programs, met great players and, and been to a number of different, uh, you know, cities and experiences. Uh, do you have a favorite moment in the game thus far? Maybe like uh, like I made it moment. I know the, the cup uh, banner raising is definitely a big moment for you, but is there a significant win conversation or anything that you often think back to in the game? Yeah, I mean the 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 cup the when they raised the banner and there's twenty thousand people in Washington going berserk. That was a really big moment. I guess in the at the NHL level, um, it's we we played our last game was in Buffalo before the um, pandemic hit. And so, and I was doing the, my last year in Washington, I was running the five on six, right? So that was a, a big part of my job, the defenseman in the five on six. And right before we played Buffalo, cause the, I forget who we played the night before, but we, um, we had a five on six and when Ovi was on the ice and which we put him out there cause he could, you know, he could finish games and, and he had made a mistake and he came to me before the Buffalo game and was like, cash, do you got, do you got those clips from the, the Buffalo game? Can we look at it? And we sat down and I, I had it all ready for him. That's one thing that those NHL guys made sure, like I, I better be prepared. If I was prepared and I had something that could help, they were they they would listen. They didn't care what my playing background was. So he came to me, you have this. I'm like, yep, here it is. He looked at it and he's like, like, oh man, like, you know, my stick should have been here, right? That's what we talked about. I'm like, yeah, perfect. He's like, all right, thanks, Cash. And it was, it was such a little thing to him, I'm sure. But to me, I was like, that was that's pretty good. That that often again the greatest goal scorer, one of the best players to ever play the game, is coming to me, trust me enough, um, listen listening to me, allowing me to coach him. Um, like he walked out of there, I was like, and that so that's my last meeting in the, in the NHL really, because uh, in the bubble we couldn't do much. So I I look back on that, and and that was that was that was great. And then the other stuff, honestly, is is off the ice. So like this. Um, in about a month, I'm going to Connor Clifton's wedding. And that's that's huge to me that Connor Clifton and I went from recruiting him along with the rest of our staff to to coaching him, coaching a young kid, to maybe mentoring him a little bit as he's in pro hockey to to friendship and going to his wedding. And you know, again, Devontae's just had a baby. And I'm not it's not just the guys that are in the NHL, you know, it's there's but those are just the recognizable names. Um, you know, he just has a baby and he Again, this is crazy, but you know he puts it on Instagram. But the day before that, he texts me a picture of it of, of of his new baby Bennett, and that you know, as a coach, th those things are 
those are awesome moments of, Hey, this is, this is why I do it. This is why I'm in love with it. Um, and this is why I'll continue to do it. Yeah. Those, uh, you know, it, it goes a long way in having success, but as you said, those moments of, of just genuine conversation and, and then of course the, the interaction with Ovechkin, you know, having one of the greatest players of all time, uh, come to you for, for advice or, or to look over a play. It's uh, surreal in the moment, but, uh, you know, through your experiences, you definitely earned it. And, Looking at some more reflective questions now, uh, one thing we like to do on the podcast a lot is is recommend things for people looking to get in the game, whether it's books, articles, presentations, um, you know, just different resources that you like to use uh, for learning and, and in hockey operations and in life in general. So for you personally, are there any uh, references that you would recommend to listeners looking to advance their learning in the game? Yeah, I mean, I think it's – I go down rabbit holes all the time. There, there's just so much – information out there you know there's so many quick hit 20 minute youtubes or man i saw a thing the other day on um i think football coaches in college haven't figured out as good as anybody you know their message and how they deliver it and so i saw a thing on twitter the other day that pj fleck who's a coach of the gophers and minnesota gophers has kind of got that program again rolling a little bit and he just had five five keys to to being a college football coach but to me it's just being a coach um and it's probably a minute and a half you know and so i guess that that my advice would be to to be open to um to to use social media and to use youtube and to use all that to not just look at as much as they're unbelievable hockey podcast hockey behind the scenes ho- there's awesome hockey stuff I think sports or leadership in general, there's, there's a lot, you know, um, obviously the book legacy is, is massive. And I just, there's just a, I don't know if we're supposed to talk about other podcasts on this one, but no, go uh, ahead. Um, the author there, uh, James Kerr just did, just did, um, just did a podcast. It was an hour and a half and it was, it was phenomenal. His, his insight on, on the all blacks and, and, it is more, it was, again, it was leadership and culture and um, Urban Meyer's Above the Line, I think is a, is a phenomenal book. Um, and then the other two, like, that have hit home with me that are non-hockey, but um, Grit um, and then The Power of Habit, which neither one, Grit has a little bit of sports in it, but uh, The Power of Habit doesn't really have sports at all, but just as the mentality of of humans and how how we are habit based and um, you don't really break habits, but you just, you form new habits that overtake the previous habit. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. So those are, I guess, a couple books and um, a couple people. But like I said, I would just, what I, I do is I end up going down rabbit holes of, you know, whether it's books or social media and, and, and then taking it and, what hits home with me, you know, cause I think what hits home with me might not hit home with you or, or with the next guy, but you just, you take pieces and add it to what your core foundation is. I take pieces of all like of PJ Flack. I can't be PJ Flack like this guy. Do you know who, do you know PJ Flack at all? Yeah. 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 I definitely like, recognize the name. His energy is unbelievable. Like I could never in a million years be him if I try to be him, but I can, what I think is I can take some of his, some of his messages, take some of his motives, um, and add it to, to who I am at my core. And, and that's all I, I've tried to do throughout. And like I said, I, I've worked for, played for unbelievable coaches, PKO Hanley, uh, Jimmy Hughes, um, 
um, you know, Todd Reardon, Lane Lambert, and then coached with all these like Barry Trotz and, and Rand and Rand Pecknold and Bill Riga. I, I've been really, really fortunate. Um, and I, I have a core belief in who I am. And then I just steal from everybody else and, and add those, not try to do what someone else does, but add it to what I really believe in to my core. Yeah, um, I think that's a great, uh, some great recommendations there. And then I also like the the mentors you just talked about, you know, the people that you've been around the game and who have helped you. It's, uh, it goes a long way in your own development, but just learning from outside the game and, and looking for these different football or, or just, uh, you know, books on life and, and mental states and uh, so much you can tie into the game and tie into your own development. So as a final question on the podcast for you today, Reed, um, you know, if you're looking back at yourself, maybe looking to get into hockey operations or maybe someone else out there listening who's just looking to get into the game for the first time, what's one piece of advice that you would have for them in hopes that they would be successful in hockey operations? Yeah, it's relationships is the number one thing. Like I, I touched on it earlier. Like you have to, you have to form relationships. Um, you have to maintain relationships and you don't know, like you shouldn't go into a relationship because somebody might help you down the line, but the hot, what now looking back on it and actually, you know what? Rand Pecknell gave me this advice a long time ago. It was like the hockey world's a small world. So someone who could be, um, you know, a volunteer coach at a midget program. Well, like, look at John Cooper. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if you met John Cooper, what, 15 years ago and you blew him off because he was high school coach or North American league coach, or even junior coach. Well, now you're looking, you're like, oof, that probably, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, um, the hockey world is a small world and the, the people that are good in it stick around in it and they work their way up. And if you can, if you can keep those relationships, then, then you'll have opportunity uh, because of that, uh, you know, someone's going to recommend you um, for your, for your job. And then the other thing would be like, you just, you got to get, you just got to get in. I, I think um, money cannot be your motivation. Um, you you got to get in in whatever facet it is and then just be successful there. And that's not always easy. And I've been fortunate. I've had people help me, but I've also like, I never looked past Quinnipiac. I was just like, I'm all in on this. And then an opportunity came and I was open to it. And then I got to Hershey and I was like, I, this is what I'm doing. And, and so that's, I think if you're, if you're one foot in one foot out, I think it's, it's really challenging. Or if the grass is always greener, I have to get to this level to me, it's have great relationships and then get in and be all in it, whatever you're at and be successful. Cause like you talked about winning, <laughs> winning breeds winning, man. And people want to be around winners. And, you know, the guys I hired on my staff, Jason Tapp and Troy Thibodeau, they come from winning organizations. Like I want to be around that. We're going to try to recruit as many kids as we can that come from winning programs because that's, that's a, that's a skill. And that's, that's part of who you are. You, you find excuses um, why you didn't win or, or you find a way to win. And, and I personally want to be around as many of those people as I can. And I've been fortunate to be around a lot of those people. Yeah. Uh, tremendous advice there. And, and again, uh, you know, just so many things that you've taken from your experiences and being around winners does ultimately breed other winners. And, uh, I, I've seen the coaches that you've hired, um, here with you as well. And, and that was very evident and, and I'm sure the players will definitely fall in line with that and, and be in a great program. So with that Reed, I just want to thank you once again for accepting the invitation to come on the podcast and talk about your career and, 
and share all the different lessons and experiences that you've uh, you've endured and uh, hopefully can, things continue to go well and then once the season comes i wish you all the best thanks this is great do it again for sure all right take care reed One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for the casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to thank Reed for taking some time out of his schedule to join me on the podcast. From the conversation, you can tell that Reed is a quality person first and foremost, and I have no doubt he will continue to be successful in his coaching role at whatever level he pursues. If you would like to get in touch with Reed to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Matt Prefontaine, video and analytics coach with the Winnipeg Jets. Matt is a prime example of someone who has worked his way to the top through hard work, determination, and learning his craft, and I think people will really enjoy his story with a lot of Jets talk, so listen in on Sunday for that release. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for continually listening to the podcast and be sure to check out our social media platforms as well as our website for more content moving forward. Additionally, be sure to sign up for the Hockey Minds community where we share resources, job postings, and just talk hockey. As always, stay safe and all the best.